0: In today's episode, we will be covering the North Korean serial killer, the liver harvester, Park Myung-sik, a man who would stop at nothing to cure his illnesses. To set the scene, we're going back to the year 1990 in North Korea. The economy was in shambles as the Soviet Union had collapsed, ending the crucial support that North Korea received. Korea's economy had entered into a free fall. The only reason we know about this case at all is because it became notable enough to be broadcast over North Korean radio, which was picked up by some neighboring South Korean cities. We are interested in the perfect storm that happened in the year 1990 in North Korea that allowed a string of murders to go unconnected. Murder wasn't uncommon in North Korea, as it isn't in most nations, but information just wasn't being spread between the regions and murders just weren't thoroughly investigated by police. The Kim dynasty segregated regions to control the narratives that were being spread throughout the nation. They wanted to avoid a Hunger Games-like uprising, and they were doing it pretty well. But this also meant that information wasn't being spread. There was one man in particular that benefited the most from this regional ignorance. And that's the subject of today's episode, Park Myung-sik. Myung-sik was sick in more than one way. He was dying. He was in a particularly dangerous situation. He had a desperate will to live but had nothing to lose. One day in early 1990, Park Myung-sik sat in a doctor's office the office of a widely known and reputable North Korean doctor, waiting for the results of a treatment he had been receiving for his cirrhosis. Even North Korea's best treatment for his cirrhosis had no effect. Park Myon-sik was a dead man, but he had a good life. And he wanted to keep living, like a lot of us do. So desperately, he tried to find alternative methods to cure his illness. He hadn't had much luck until one day when he went back to work, an alternative method fell into his lap. He overheard one of his co-workers bragging about how good his fortune teller was. Fortune tellers in North and South Korea often are shamanistic in nature, less so these days but commonly then they would also be holistic healers. Religions and spiritualism are forbidden in North Korea, even to this day, as religious freedom or freedom of speech would go against the control of the Kim dynasty. Myung-sik knew that it was against the law, but like I said, he had nothing to lose, and it couldn't hurt him or make him worse than he already was, so he thought it was worth a try. Myung-sik was known by his co-workers to be very quiet and professional, so when he approached his co-worker asking for the information about the fortune teller, They agreed to introduce him. Myeongchuk wasted absolutely no time setting up an appointment with the fortune teller. He met with them as soon as he possibly could. And when the meeting finally came... Munchik's personality changed drastically, going from a shy and timid man to a desperate man begging for his life. He fell to his knees, grabbed the arms of the shaman, and begged for them to save his life. He said, quote, I'm suffering from cirrhosis of the liver. I don't know when I'll die, but please tell me how to live. This fortune teller was his last hope of living. Other than this, he was counting down the days until his death. It took the shaman a few days to figure out what advice to give a man so desperate to cheat his fate. Ultimately, when Myeongchuk was called to return for the fortune teller's decision, they had decided on very drastic measures. The shaman advised that they consume human liver that had to be fresh and, preferably, from someone very young. Was the shaman really advising that he murder children, consume their livers, if he wanted to keep living? If you've listened to my episode about the missing frog boys, then you'll have heard before about the consumption of human liver. If you recall, or if you haven't listened to the episode, people believe that the frog boys went missing because people killed them to consume their livers to cure cirrhosis. Yes, that is directly tied to this case. This is the boogeyman case that people then went on to tell horror stories about amongst their families. So menchik left the shaman thinking heavily about this advice he had just been given. He pondered, could he really take a human life just so he could keep living? Of course, we know the answer to that question. We know the answer is yes. Park Myonshik would begin plotting his first murder. Myonshik meticulously planned who he would target. He knew that the schools would let out middle schoolers and high schoolers to go work on farms for a few months at a time of the school year as a way to have free labor. Myonshik knew that the students who worked on these farms would sleep in dormitories on the farms that were unguarded. Lights out was at 11 p.m., so he waited until short Shortly after that, to make his move, he snuck in and hovered over the bed of a 15-year-old girl. He placed his hands over her mouth, silencing her. Myanchik unsheathed the knife that he brought with him and stabbed the girl once killing her he picked her up placed her on his shoulder and began to quietly leave the building he planned on taking her to an isolated area in a field where he could take her liver consume it and leave before anyone noticed but as he was walking through the farm he heard farm dogs barking and then lights and voices coming towards his location he hastily dropped her and made his escape his plans were interrupted mianchik didn't wait very long until he attacked again and he did it the exact same way, but at a different farm. He came into the girl's dormitory, put his hand over her mouth, stabbed the girl, killing her, carried her body to a field. This time, uninterrupted, he began trying to cut her open to remove her liver, which he found and took with him. But, as an unskilled surgeon, when the farmer found the body in the morning, he fainted at the sight of the brutality. Due to the lack of surveillance, Of the area and guards, nobody saw anything. So the murderer of the poor girl in the field was referred to as a ghost. Mianshik had gotten away with it once, and he knew he could do it again. But with a girl being killed on a farm, he knew that they would tighten security. So this time, he broke into a woman's house, killing a woman in her 20s and brutalizing her in much the same way. Over the next six months, Mianshik would get away with 10 murders. Unfortunately, due to a lack of information and information that was spread from the North Korean news, we just don't have information about the other eight victims. North Korea's investigative methods were extremely lacking. They hadn't established a fingerprint database and wouldn't for another decade. They also didn't have great DNA analysis and because of the lack of information sharing between the regions, they just weren't able to connect any of the murders. Citizens who lived in the areas that these victims were killed in lived in fear. They locked their doors. They tried to watch their children to protect them. They lived with a kind of boogeyman living in their region. Think of the kind of panic that was wreaked upon the people who lived near the East Area Rapist stomping ground. It wasn't until after the 10th victim was found that Kim Jong-il would permit news stations to broadcast information about the serial killings. After the broadcast had begun, two more victims were found in similar fashion. This continued until October of that same year, 1990. Myun-Shik would do his normal routine. He would go to a farm where students were working, go into the dormitory and try to find a girl who was sleeping, cover her mouth and stab her. But this time he was caught. And when he tried to flee the scene, the citizens chased him, caught him and brought him into the local authorities. Munchik made absolutely no effort to lie to the authorities. He immediately confessed to the murders and admitted to acting on the advice of his fortune teller to consume the livers of young people. He even led the local authorities to the fortune teller who was also arrested, because remember, shamanism is illegal in North Korea. Myonshik wouldn't go to trial until a year later, in October 1991, where he stood accused of the murder of 12 people and the attempted murder of a 13th, which he had all confessed to. Myonshik didn't contest the charges brought against him, and thus he was sentenced to death and was publicly Executed by a firing squad. The fortune teller also stood trial but was clever and made sure to say that he only gave advice for him to consume liver but never said he had to kill someone to get the liver. So the fortune teller was sentenced to 15 years of reformative labor, which was tied to his illegal shamanism. This case would be used by the North Korean government as a scare tactic to push people away from shamanism. and to further suppress religious freedom. This message would also make its way into South Korea, where people would begin to think that shamans would recommend eating human liver, recommend murder. These kind of rumors would make their way into South Korean society so deep that when the frog boys themselves went missing, people would begin to talk about lepers or cirrhosis patients stealing the boys to kill them for their livers and consume them. Parkman-chik is known as North Korean only serial killer. But as you and I both know, that's highly unlikely. Thank you for listening to today's short episode. See you next time on Korean True Crime with me, your host Mimi Miziko.